Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. Today, we are speaking with Ksenia Otmahova, a Schwartzman Scholar and Director of Public Relations at Ballistic Architecture Machine. Her role as a PR manager comes with a focus on furthering research on the new Silk Road with the goal of developing it into one of several of Ballistic Architecture Machine's unique urban initiative projects. Ksenia is quite obviously brilliant. So for this episode, I chose to ask few questions, get out of the way, and let the tape run as she speaks eloquently on using the power of design for social impact, her reframing of the Belt and Road Initiative as a socio-spatial set of challenges, the value and appeal of becoming a Schwarzman Scholar, and China's strengths and weaknesses in architecture and urban design. Enjoy. I think we're... China, I guess, is ahead due to that speed of developments and the experimentation is the realm of what we call smart cities and generally the topic of integration of the technology into the fabric of the city. And here I really mean smart cities in the definition of uh, you know, integrating technology. So China is very forward thinking in uh, when it comes to like mobility and traffic control, other things like QR codes for, for games was recently in Shanghai. Uh, there was a QR code projected into the sky. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market no globally minded brand should ignore. But entering markets like China is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber and Facebook. Times are changing and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success expanding into the markets of the Middle Kingdom. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early stage tech companies enter the Asia Pacific market market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful China entry and growth strategies by interviewing the people behind those success stories. My name is Todd Embley and welcome to The Negotiation, brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Senya, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on today. Well, thanks for having me. Would you mind giving a brief introduction of yourself, how you ended up in China and why and how you decided to live there? I was born in Russia, in the Samara region, for most uh, of the time till uh, the age of 11, when I moved to the Netherlands, where uh, I spent my teenage years and I studied architecture in the bachelor's and urban planning in the master's at the Delft University of Technology. And uh, that's also how I first got to visit Asia. In 2012, I went on a three-week trip with architects to China and in 2014 to South Korea and Japan. That's how in 2016, during my master's, uh, I decided to do an exchange semester in Asia. And uh, originally my aim was for uh, Japan because it's kind of like the mecca of design for architects. But generally I was aiming at Asia and in the end I got assigned to one of my other options, which was Tsinghua University in Beijing. And in a sense, I think that was a great coincidence. So I studied architecture there and the exchange semester became an exchange year during which I also found out about uh, the Schwarzman program. In a sense, I think I faced three times the choice of going to China. First time was curiosity. Second and third time was already a sense that it's 
a very fascinating place, but also an understanding that there's so much to learn and discover and that a two-week trip or even one year of uh, studies in a campus, that they weren't enough to understand uh, the complexity and dynamics of this country. So I kept on coming back for more each time. And in that sense, China became like a cradle of my uh, life uh, as an adult, as a professional. So that's incredible. So you were a Schwarzman scholar at Tsinghua University, which is an incredible achievement. That's really fantastic and amazing and really hard to do. For those who don't know, though, can you introduce what that is, what it means to be a Schwarzman scholar, and what were some of the opportunities that have been presented to you as a result? Um, in other words, why did you apply to do something so difficult and what are the outcomes from it? Yes. Yeah, so to introduce very shortly, uh, the Schwarzman program is a one-year master's program in global affairs at the Tsinghua University of Beijing. It's a very young uh, program this year, six years old. It's a scholarship that was created specifically to you know, respond to the geopolitical landscape of our current times. And th that means China's growing interactions with uh, businesses around the world and also the realization of the founder, Steve Schwartzman, that there is not enough understanding of this region in the West uh, among the professionals and among the leaders. So the success of international development uh, has a lot to do with this uh, understanding of China's role in the global trends that we're going through. The mission of the program in that sense is to build a global community of professionals that will serve to deepen this mutual understanding between China and between the rest of the world. The ambition is to create a cohort of more than 10,000 Schwarzman scholars over the next 50 years. So it's a very long-term vision. And currently we've had, we have six cohorts. We're recruiting the seventh. That's an alumni network of already 500 students from 81 different countries uh, that covers a very diverse group of professional industries as well. So over 25. So these are not only, you know, graduates from business schools and policymakers, but, you know, engineers, doctors uh, like me, urban planners. And as such, I was the member of the third uh, cohort and at, uh, at the same time, the first uh, Russian citizen to be awarded the Schwarzman Scholarship. I found out about the program while studying at Tsinghua campus as an architect. And that was the first year of the program. So it was very imposing when it just landed on the campus. Um, you know, who are these future global leaders? What, what, they, what do they do in that special building? You know, but uh, we were also very curious as architecture students. Soon I found out about the program's mission and about this mission of actually creating cultural immersion and bringing different cultures together and creating that mutual understanding. And with my background of growing up as a Russian in the Netherlands, a country that's very multicultural, I believe that something 
that definitely could work and, and could be very interesting for me as a designer also to emerge myself in different professional cultures. I learned in the architecture school and as an urban planner to create concepts and designs and ideas. And I had a strong desire to use design for social impact. That's what motivated me to study urban planning, its potential to, you know, um, benefit the community and the society through design. But I also understood that, you know, proposing a concept is not enough. You need to be able to convince the stakeholders and understand where they are coming from as well. Uh, Schwartzman College was kind of this great opportunity to meet people, inspiring people from all over the world, to talk to them directly about issues going on in the world and, and discuss that with, with people with so many different backgrounds and perspectives that are at the same time very open-minded people. What is it about the program that makes people want to apply? Why, why is this program so special? Definitely the thing about the program is that you, you need to have a clear reason. And for me, I think my story and, and my reason for applying to the program was a lot about that. I, as a designer, as an urban planner, saw great value in broadening my horizons to understanding the global affairs, basically understanding the big driving forces that shape the world and that shape the developments. Because as, a, as an urban planner working with uh, urbanization that in itself is also shaping these currents, it's kind of a chicken on our, and an egg story. Do we shape our built environments or does it shape us and shapes our thinking. So for me, that was always an, a fascinating aspect. And I realized that having learned uh, design, having learned to propose concepts, what I was still missing or what I wanted to understand more is this global dynamics, but also how do decision makers think? Uh, what drives the thinking of a policymaker or an investor or an NGO or a future president, you know, how do they think? And uh, the Schwarzman College basically brings to, together all these people uh, of different walks of life, puts them together in one place and creates these endless opportunities in the classroom and outside of the classroom to talk to each other, to learn from each other. I always compared with this pressure cooker where in a short time uh, amount of time in the program you get to experience so many different things and that was my expectation that was uh, my plan and that was also uh, in that sense my experience within the program so in in one year you cover so many different academic topics from international business to public policy to international relations uh, at the same time, we have many visiting experts. We had politicians like John Kerry, Madeleine Albright, Kevin Roods, the president of Chile, uh, visiting us over the course of that year. But at the same time, there were also people from tech industry or experts in China, like Jeff Wan from AY came uh, for, uh, you know, to listen to pitches for startups. 
by scholars. We had Kai-Fu Lee deliver a lecture on uh, future of AI. There are speakers that like Kaiser Kuo with his podcast that, that came, but also former chair of Sinopag, Hu Chenyu, and, you know, really great minds from all over the world basically coming over to college and sharing their experience, sharing their knowledge directly with us. At the same time, the program also has this focus on really first-hand experience of China. A big element uh, for that is the deep dive. So these are trips to cities in China. For example, in our year, there were trips to Chengdu, Xiamen, Shenzhen, where we got to visit Chinese companies like Biden's, for example, or Tencent, and also meet uh, the, the officials of these cities and really understand, you know, what are the ambitions of these companies? What are their plans? What trends they see in China and the world and how they think to react to it and how the cities plan to develop. So I, I went to Chengdu and I was uh, definitely blown away by the scale of the um, ambitions and developments they have there. But I think the most important aspect that also, you know, needs to be emphasized in light of these big names are the students, uh, the about 100 to 150 other scholars that you're with. All of them have their own story. All of them have their own uh, unique background. And the way uh, the life at the college is set up is that you have diverse opportunities of uh, learning with each other during times like having a lunch or, or playing sports. Uh, but also the scholars are very invested in sharing their knowledge, their backgrounds with each other. So while we have the deep dives organized by uh, the program itself to the Chinese cities. We also have student organized deep dives. As such, during my year again, I've been to Hong Kong, uh, where we got to meet and to talk with Carrie Lam at that time. And there was another trip to Singapore, uh, where we met with Hun Sui Ki, the Minister of Finance. Besides that, there was just intense cultural immersion and that definitely makes the program a very intense one year a lot of experiences that you feel also even in the years after you just keep on reflecting on them and keep on realizing how much you know you really got to experience that sounds like an incredible experience and definitely a lot of memories and learnings that you will take with you throughout the rest of your life. Your master's thesis, you were afforded, uh, I think, a very special opportunity given your Venn diagram of interest between architecture and urban planning, given that there was the Belt and Road Initiative. And that ended up being the kind of center of your thesis. And, you know, very interestingly, you reframed the Belt and Road Initiative as a socio-spatial set of challenges. Uh, you know, really the core theme being people-to-people -people ties uh, that needed to be resolved, Yeah. right? Tell us a little bit more about that work and about the central points of your research around the China Belt and Road Initiative. You summed it up right in, in the sense that the motivation behind kind of tackling this topic came at the time that I was already aware of the Schwarzman program. 
and aware of what I described before, my passion, my um, ambition to think of how design and spatial planning on different scales can be utilized for basically social impact. And at the time, the Belt and Road Initiative, I was in China and I it was a very new thing. I just heard about it. What was very clear, this was in 2017, is that it's a large scale infrastructural mega project. Keywords were the the win-win collaboration and the people-to-people bonds. Taking this from the speech of uh, Xi Jinping in, in Kazakhstan announcing the initiative. And to me, as an urbanist, that definitely sounded extremely exciting. And given that I had the ambitions of broadening my scope more globally, also through the Schwarzman program, I thought this would be a very fascinating study topic that I could combine both my grown expertise as an urban planner, but also my interest in global affairs topic where all of these things come together. At that time, I was tackling several themes, several vectors along which I was asking myself questions and was hoping to answer them through my research. One of them was concerning directly these slogans of win-win and people-to-people bonds. So uh, what is it, you know, how is it uh, the connecting and mediating cultures? How can we facilitate that? You know, I definitely have a passion for, you know, cross-cultural communication. That's what the Schwarzman program is a lot about. And I saw how much spaces we build and design can play a big role in that. To give uh, a small example, on Tsinghua campus, it's a very big campus, and by numbers at that time, there were quite a lot of international students already that Tsinghua was attracting. However, there were few places where the international students and the Chinese students could literally run into each other. Classrooms sometimes were divided over different buildings or different floors. On the other hand, Schwarzman College building was an example of trying to do that differently and making a space where these different groups actually can coexist and share um, their learning and their experience in one physical place. And, And you start seeing how, you know, you really need to create and design spaces that are meant for such interaction in order to facilitate such interaction. And now I gave examples of on a scale of a building, but Uh, The Belt and Road Initiative is a scale of an entire continent. So my question was, what does it mean to really build infrastructure for win-win collaboration and structure that will create new people-to-people bonds? So the second aspect related to that was then this rapid urbanization versus the livable city. So the Belt and Road as a large-scale infrastructure mega project will cause and is causing another you know leap of urbanization and uh, we've seen China and the world go through different waves of urbanization and we've seen we, we are learning or trying to learn from the mistakes of copy pasting solutions and creating ghost towns uh, we're trying to solve these mistakes so now that we have such a potentially big push, uh, in terms of finance and investments and literally manpower making the effort of building the, the new Silk Road, how do we make sure we do that differently and we don't repeat the mistakes of 
uh, rapid urbanization of the past. And that in itself brought up the, the third theme that I think became also the main contribution and the main point of my research is that signifying the relevance of spatial design and planning for the development like the Belt and Road Initiative. I truly believe that the success of what the Belt and Road Initiative is trying to achieve depends on the built environments and on the on the ground conditions that are created. One research direction in urban planning called Happy Cities that emphasizes importance of creating good, happy living environments for people and how much, you know, economic prosperity can come as a result out of that. This kind of was the, the initial starting point. And that's definitely was way too complex and way too many things to tackle in one master thesis. Uh, so what I did, I, I needed a case study to dive deeper into this. And as an urban or urban design thesis, you need to also analyze and design an actual uh, urban fabric. So I was interested in infrastructural developments that uh, happened on previously basically untouched landscapes. And at that time also, there were honestly only a few options that I could pick from because the Belt and Road just was initiated and there were only a few projects that started being built. And among them was Horgos Gateway, a dry port on border of China and Kazakhstan that uh, was quite heavily publicized as the, you know, the first flagship project, China's gateway to the West. So in many ways, it, it symbolized the ambition behind the Belt and Road. China focusing westwards, developing its Western frontiers and kickstarting a new wave of uh, globalization and trade. Actually, for the ones interested, there is a journalist, Wade uh, Shepard, that traveled there and, and wrote a lot about this development and also has like a short documentary that really gives you a sense of what's going on in that region in terms of economy, but also in terms of people's life. I really recommend that. So Corgos Gateway was, for me back then, a really good case study of trying to understand what is the Belt and Road about, what's happening, and what does it look like building the new Silk Road. However, although it was the, well, let's say the best documented and the furthest developed uh, project at that point, there was still very little that I could really find on the internet about it. So uh, quickly, I came to the conclusion that I have no other way than just going there and visiting it. And here comes another example, I think, of the great benefit of being a Schwarzman scholar and being connected to that global uh, network. I realized there is a Schwarzman scholar from Kazakhstan in the first cohort with whom I got in touch. And it turned out that his hometown was right next to it, that he would be visiting it for Chinese New Year. And so basically on that call, we decided that I would come over as well. And I uh, traveled to Orgos Gateway and to the nearby city of uh, Jarkent. And yeah, I had this amazing experience of seeing this development firsthand, visiting uh, the dry port, visiting the surrounding villages and seeing how the life is out there, talking to local people about how they feel about it, what their hopes and, and concerns are. And that gave me a lot of 
insights definitely for my research. But also, I must say that as an perhaps naive, <laughs> idealistic back then urbanism student, I was also quite shocked um, by what was happening there. Because while I was studying papers about smart cities and livable cities and green developments and how not to do the repetitive copy-paste buildings and, and ghost towns. What I saw being built there, the houses themselves, they were good. Uh, and, and it was good housing for the local people there and good opportunity for them to get new jobs and to develop. But the, the environment, the city themselves, the urban environment itself, it, it felt like a ghost town. There were no parks, you know, there, there was no place for people to really enjoy life and the young people people of of my age living in the surrounding areas their reaction therefore was like yes uh definitely i could take a job in this town but i would never want to live here there is nothing to do for me here and the documentary by bbc and wade shepherd actually provides also like good examples of that and and that kind of supported my sense and my whole point uh, my my initial uh, criticism for you know the risks that such a rapid large scale development is facing is that just building a new highway that will bring your country money or is not enough to really create people-to-people -people bonds to foster collaboration and to create new vibrant environments. To kind of wrap this up, what I ended up uh, devising was a development framework that on one hand could be used to analyze you know, a development, but also to set goals and design and planning goals for a urban development. And it was aimed at linking the local environment with the global uh, development. So the Belt and Road would have an agenda of its global developments, like economic goals, infrastructural goals, and the local environment, like a new town, would have its own local needs and how you can analyze these two and how you can start designing across these different scales of development in order to create synergy across these scales of development so that not only the country or the region is making money, but the local people are actually ending up with better life, not only in 10 years, but also, let's say, today or next year, but pretty soon, how to make their lives good as well. That was the thing behind that. Uh, developing this framework also made me uh, rethink the whole concept of Belt and Road as a global network. That case of Horgos Gateway as a in-between border trade hub, I saw there a big potential of reconceptualizing this kind of cross-border trade hub typology in a typology that could be replicated across the Belt and Roads more systematically. It then would be a kind of a, a concentrated point, a, a hub that would help embed the Belt and Road development into the local environments. So it could be a, a center of, of knowledge and exchange that then would radiate out 
these resources into the local environment, into the maybe less developed environment and would allow these environments to be what they are. Farmer village could remain a farmer village, but it would have the opportunity to, to tap into this globalization hub at its own convenience, basically. Finally, I guess uh, with all of that being said, uh, this thesis was most of all a call to action to urban planners and, and architects and all ex- to start researching this initiative, this phenomenon, and, and to start coming up with solutions for the many uh, challenges that are out there and to really engage with this development of coming few decades. I think that has been definitely in in our field has been overlooked due to its huge scale. Uh, Usually, you know, the biggest scale urban planning flies to is a metropolitan region of, uh, you know, like Shenzhen, for example. So uh, often urban planners think this is, you know, not their job and this probably something policy makers should be thinking about but for policy makers it's, uh, it's important to understand the value that this kind of design and underground thinking can bring to really develop synergetic developments in that sense i want to change tack and just talk about your work with the ballistic architecture machine um Tell us a little bit about what you're doing there, what Ballistic Architecture Machine does, and how do they factor into the world of the new Silk Road? So Ballistic Architecture Machine, uh, shortly we're abbreviated as BAM, is a uh, multidisciplinary design studio, mainly based in China, in uh, Beijing and in Shanghai. We cover disciplines of landscape architecture, urban design, architecture. The office also has deep roots in art and art installations. However, the main interest and focus of the office is on to the urban landscape. Basically, everything in between the facade of your building and the next possible building. So it's not only the trees and the gardens, but it's also the highways, pedestrian paths, everything else that constitutes of, you know, the public realm of the city. BAM, in fact, believes that this is the most important design realm of the 21st century. BAM believes that the urban landscape is fundamentally the place where the people-to-people bonds occurs, when interactions happens, where basically life happens. And that aligns very closely with uh, my own vision that I developed studying the Belt and Road. BAM, in that sense, also sees the huge potential in utilizing design and developing large-scale infrastructures in such ways that can not only, you know, facilitate this interaction, but even pan out into topics like mitigation of climate change. And so uh, when I got to know BAM as an office and uh, shared also my research, they basically said yes to that call to action that I was throwing out there with my research and said like, yes, let's do it. Let's research this further and let's make start making projects that you know, align with this vision. And it's a, it's PR is your role with them, correct? Um, so my role is 
twofold. On one hand, I'm working on the PR front, helping to communicate uh, BAM's vision and uh, BAM's conceptual thinking out there. But, you know, the main reason I am here is to further develop this research that I started as part of my thesis and to eventually start building real projects out there that bring that research and that thinking into practice. So BAM in that sense is quite unique for one thing they do, they call urban initiatives. So besides the work that they get commissioned for and that they have clients that pay for, BAM uh, regularly takes upon themselves challenges within urban realm, problems that they see and starts researching it without necessarily having a client a big example is the case of Guomao intersection here in Beijing. It's a horrible infrastructural node with a lot of traffic jam and, and uh, BAM rethought and reconceptualized that crossroad as a very futuristic vision of a logistic hub that combines green infrastructure and a public park and really utilizes that space, most expensive space in, in Beijing for public good. I want to talk broadly here at the end about architecture in China for a moment. It's incredibly unique. What a, what a, what a distinct environment to be studying and working in that, in that area of, and, and in that vertical, in that area of the world. As someone who has studied architecture and urban design, you know, with, with a critical eye, can you speak a little bit to how that sector is different? in China? Where does China succeed in urban design, where the rest of the world maybe falls behind? And the other side of the coin, are there things that China still needs to do to catch up and to learn from, uh, from the rest of the world? One of the main aspects that brings a lot of professionals from the West, architects, urban planners alike, to China is the speed of developments here in China. Things get built very quickly. And as such, for an architect in five years working in China, you might see one or two of projects you've been working on completed. Whereas back in Europe, you might also just as well spend 10 years behind the drawing board. That's, I think, a really big difference. The more centralized decision-making here in China speeds up this process of uh, development. On the other hand, the more consensus-oriented decision-making uh, back in Europe, it is slower and therefore the developments themselves are slower uh, which gives China on one hand an edge in terms of you know being very agile adapting very quickly but that makes it also true that things can change here very 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 quickly so if the decision maker and the team changes it's very common here in China that the entire project may change and that's something quite uncommon in that sense in Europe, because once consensus has been reached on a general trajectory for a project, it's much harder to, you know, to change the entire project. So that's one big difference. And then the, the scale of development in itself is much bigger here in China. So many more cities the scale of the cities themselves is much bigger. There is a higher density. There are more people. So that makes it extremely fascinating as well. 
Another big difference is in in the building quality. The speed and the scale of developments, it reflects that the building quality sometimes is not as good or, um, you know, mistakes are made. And generally, it's also always an internal struggle between the designer and, and the architect and the builder in that sense. However, there are countries like, you know, Japan or in, in Europe, it's, it's Scandinavia that God is in the t- details, uh, we say. So the level of detailing of buildings and infrastructures much higher and that's definitely still uh, a point of development for for china that i think they will definitely develop on for sure at the same time uh, that kind of like uh, agility and speed of developments allows china and stimulates the high level of experimentation here there's a lot of crazy buildings out here that just got built you know just because someone liked it and the client wanted and so they took the time and the funds to do it i think we're China, I guess, is ahead due to that speed of developments and the experimentation is the realm of what we call smart cities and generally the topic of integration of the technology into the fabric of the city. And here I really mean smart cities in the definition of uh, you know, integrating technology. So China is very forward thinking in, uh, when it comes to like mobility and traffic control, other things like QR codes for, for games was recently in Shanghai. Uh, there was a QR code projected into the sky. That's well, very futuristic and very exciting on the one hand. On the other hand, if we look at smart cities from a European uh, definition that emphasizes much more the livability, the walkability of city and the human, the eye level experience, as we call it. And here, that's definitely another aspect where China still has a lot to catch up on to and where they are very eager now to develop more on. There's definitely a big shift happening right now, I would say, from uh, you know, just building infrastructure towards emphasizing the quality of that eye level experience of the city. And that really has to do also with the global trend of cities worldwide, rather than countries competing for talents and trying to become the best experience kind of cities to attract these uh, smart people from all over the world. Speaking of smart cities, do you think that the future, and it might not be the future, but maybe many of the different futures of architecture, whether it's design, uh, planning, uh, or, or simply just technology, do you think that some or all of that could be coming from or rooted in China in the next few years? I think some of it, the aspect I mentioned of technology integration into the city, definitely I expect a lot of innovation is already coming from China and that will continue to be so. At the same time, I feel like the stage of development that China is in right now and the stage of development of cities that, for example, Europe 
is in or Canada actually as an example is actually a really forward thinking country with a lot of innovative research in terms of really making happy cities I would say like in terms of social impact in terms of livable cities there's a lot of knowledge out there uh, especially in countries like Canada and the Netherlands and so I think it will definitely be very interesting to watch how that is going to be that's going to be i think the next step of what china is going to focus on is making their cities really good cities and not just making a lot of big cities right so i think it's definitely going to be very interesting how they're going to do that and i expect also that in that sense china will become more self reliant on their own local experts you know architects and urban planners that studied abroad but that are chinese that went back to china and they're bringing that knowledge and integrating their experience abroad and their knowledge they got there with the conditions and challenges of their own cities i think it will be very exciting to watch i generally believe that the future of our cities and future of urban planning would be in that more balanced vision of combining knowledge from the different regions urban planning for a long time has been very euro centric and just probably a decade or two ago we would be studying chinese cities by comparing them with a model based on paris or berlin which just doesn't make sense and that is balancing itself out there's a growing body of research and more and more understanding in urban planning that basically for each kind of city you need to generate that research and lessons custom made and i think that's definitely the power in the future of you know making our cities better and china will have its contribution in that in in terms of many case studies of big cities new cities smart cities and green cities and embedding large scale infrastructure into you know the built environment and the cities themselves what a great way to finish off the episode uh senya thank you so much for coming on the podcast today it was a really amazing treat to to listen to you uh and to discuss such an interesting and diverse topic with regards to china thank you very much for coming on the show thank you so much again for inviting me Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking across the pond for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope that you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands just like yours enter China. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation. And if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co. And be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Zai Jing.